you know, it obviously relates to our now weekly segment about the origins of Metalcore and uh, Killswitch and Gage, Gage rather, being slightly overcredited potentially as the forefather. <laughs> um, it's gone from it's gone from fuel for a friend deserved a bit of that cake to Killswitch and Gage are a folk band. Really, I've got it. Hey up and welcome to the Temple of Blair, episode 34. No Dave today, he's on his tax dodge again. <laughs> yeah, just the two of us. Yeah. That's Special right. late night episode. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly low energy after a rather hectic day. Um, but it's cool. I will rosy right. through it. I've had a lazy day, so I'm relatively high energy. I'm not even like got to the gym or anything. Are you just gonna be gymming tonight? I'm going to try it, I think, yeah. It depends on what, what if I get through all this editing. I've got to right. edit this. I've got to edit the um, the, the uh, Waltari episode or interview I did earlier. I've got to prep for interviews tomorrow. <clears throat> it's a bit of a, it's a whole fucking thing, so. Well, I'll just, I'll just get straight to the gym after this just to rub it in. Oh, nice one. Thanks for that. No worries. I'll get, well, I won't get some, I, don't, I won't get pictures because I don't want, um, you know, the fucking strife of you and Dave next week, so. <laughs> <laughs> i just leave it to your imagination thanks right shall we uh well we said we we're gonna probably mix it up this week and maybe start with um well start by continuing last week's topic which was overrated bands and then we'll move on to uh the news as a sort of final segment you know opposite day yeah, yeah let's do that let's do that it flows a bit it flows possibly nicer the problem with news is that we always end up going up on tangents and it takes yes. up some large part and we can't stop ourselves and it <laughs> and it goes on for fucking ages and then the actual topic of the episode gets thrown in last minute for about 10 minutes of discussion. Well, according to the Spotify metrics, people actually listen to these episodes now. Like comparatively, since no, 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 I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass, but since you joined on the reg, um, they blow away sort of blow away <laughs> they kind of match the uh the, the interview metrics uh, not that i give too much of a shit it was just it's the most interesting thing about the temple of Blair metrics is that and only that mm. um but i guess now yes we should engineer it to be not as absolutely fucking boring yeah well we, we can we'll try our best so um overrated bands we <laughs> uh no you can't well uh well, we, we, we ended with, some. I think, my final uh, sort of suggestion for most overrated bands slash artists in rock and metal last week was Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll pick, off, pick up from there. I think I sort of said my piece on Marilyn Manson, I think probably speaks for itself in that he's kind of a talentless fucking asshole. Um, no more needs to be yeah. said. The, yeah, I never really got into Marilyn Manson. I will admit this though: I went up, went to see it was Maiden Leeds Fest two thousand five. Um, they were doing the early days tour, and mm-hmm. Manson was on. In fact, that was probably like the greatest day ever. Got on there, it was My Chemical Romance. Like, as mm-hmm. soon as I got onto the field, it was My Chemical Romance. Then it was Turbo Negro. Then it was Alkaline Trio. Then it was Iggy and the Stooges. Um, then, shit, who was it? This is already sounding like my potentially worst day. Yeah. Um, and then Marilyn Manson came on, and it was just like, we, I wasn't too bothered, but I was trying to get to the front for Maiden. And it was just the atmosphere was absolutely fucking insane. 
Mm. It was just one of oh, Incubus, that was another one. Um, yeah, I don't have any love for the aesthetic. I've been through this before. It's kind of like the Rob Zombie um, sort of gothy 90s aesthetic, which is weird because I really like Typo Negative, and that's like the pinnacle of goth metal, really. But yeah. the thing with Marilyn Manson, it, it's... He dialed it, it up to sort of very cringy levels, very exaggerated, he, jumping on a bandwagon level, uh, levels. Really, you lose people. People seem to forget that you lose points for trying too hard. Mm. I think that's where he fell foul for me. I still listen to it. I still quite like it. But you know what, man? There must have been a threshold that was passed in around 2004 when I just heard that tainted love cover too many times, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even like the music to be honest. I think even. Even his delivery in the vocal performances just screams edgelord, and uh, it's just not for me. <laughs> yeah, well, he's not exactly going through the greatest of times of recent, you know, recently. So, no, never minding certain allegations. But yeah. was, I remember seeing footage from um, must be like I think I think I joined a few groups on um, Facebook, like the Sound Engineers United sort of deal, where they'd just send like videos of sound engineers trying to deal with the most awful artists. Mm. Um, and one was Marilyn Manson in an arena show, just stumbling over drunk to the front of house desk and just whacking the master bus up all the way and he just fed everything back. Then he fell over on the desk and you just hear this massive bang and everything just cuts out. And you always see like this drunken, bloated Marilyn Manson on his back on the floor, <laughs> having wrecked his own show. I, think, uh, I mean, the thing is, the fans would have been loving that. That's uh... On brand, <laughs> it's all yeah. It's, it's all part of the the fucking image in it. It's all part of the image of a edgy goth guy who will do Which anything. Interesting because John Five, who was like his main guitarist, mm. basically has gone to a really prolific um, uh, virtuoso career, and he plays mm. with, with Rob Zombie. Well, I think he, I think Marilyn Manson has always been propped up by the fucking musicians behind him. That's kind of the point, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> He's been, and, yeah. you know, uh, sort of slouching on their shoulders drunkenly while they're actually putting in the work. <laughs> See, I get, I, I don't, I, I'm not in a position to properly agree with you that it's, um, that is overrated. I guess I've got to look back on it a bit more, but I do know where you're coming from in mm. a big way. He was, one. I mean, he, he was very big at one point, and I think he's still got a fairly considerable following. So that's why I thought I'd throw him in there for contention. Uh, I mean, there's, don't worry, there's plenty more controversial <laughs> options than that. Not necessarily what I would pick, but just worth mentioning. Um, should we start with the controversial ones then? Go on then. Nirvana. Really? I mean, that's not my option necessarily, but I've seen it on lists. Uh, no, I think where it was at the time and the ground it was breaking like in between sort of MTV pop and like hair metal and things like that, where it, and, and just normal metal where metal was, it just, it came straight through the middle and, and provided a middle ground for people. Um, I mean, that's grunge in general, but Nirvana was a big part of that. And I'm not just saying that because they're one of the biggest bands in the world, but they were like, I mean, if you look at, what is it? The big five grand, uh, grunge bands, which are like Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and what am I forgetting? Soundgarden, they all have a very distinct, different flavor of the same thing, which was like stripped down, no theatrics, balls out rock and roll with mm-hmm. like feet in both camps of metal and punk. And I think to dis- to say that Nirvana's overrated is to say the rest are overrated, which is just untrue. 
well, it, yeah, if you if you're trying to make that argument, then I wouldn't agree with it. I mean, to play devil's advocate, I think you know what your uh, credit for is, uh, you know, is potentially a little bit overinflated. It's been it's yes. been inflated by history. It's been inflated by the legend, the sort of myth that surrounds Kurt Cobain, you know, and obviously is, you know, untimely, untimely death. And, um, you know, that happens a lot with, um, you know, look at like the doors and it happens a lot with certain bands where the, the lead singer, you know, burned out quick, you know, sort of was a, it was a, what was his, his most famous quote? Like I'd rather, Oh, it was, um, it, it was a it's, Neil Young quote, wasn't it? No, burn yeah. out a away. Yeah, which is is sort of like that lifestyle is 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 what gives them that aura, that that like mystique, which you know a bit sets them up for this legend status, and which you know Nirvana have acquired more and more over the years. I think, yeah, not necessarily what they were. I mean, they were big at the time, and everything. I just don't know if that's what people were crediting them for at the time. Um, I think they were just they were at the forefront of a new movement in music and there was sort of a lightning in a bottle that can't be recaptured. Mm. But there's no, you know, at the same time, if you want to take an objective look at it, there's no one thing about them that's truly exceptional. I think all of the other, the, the other four grunge bands you listed there did one thing or another better than them. I think they were just a bit more of a complete package. And then again, because of, you know, Kurt Cobain being a lot more of a, Almost mysterious and sort of charismatic frontman at the same He's time. He's got the romantic um, yeah. injection, I guess. And I guess I'll also mention one piece of news I saw this week. Uh, just throw it in there because it is relevant. And that is that, I don't know if you saw this, Kurt Cobain's hair sold at auction for $14,000. Wow. Um, which says a lot about sort of the legend that surrounds him these days. You know, the, the price people are willing to pay for just a few measly strands of hair cut. It was before, uh, it was just, it was well on that bleach tour before the break, uh, the uh, release of Nevermind. It's uh, 1989, I believe, is when it How was they, cut. Uh, right. And someone just thought, I'll keep this just in case. <laughs> um, according to the article, I think it was just, there was a, it was during the tour in UK, basically. I think a UK fan who was just a, a friend of Kurt's actually has a picture of a oh, yeah, cutting okay. the hair I've, at the time. I've got, I've got yeah. it. Here we go. Right. Got it. A two-page two provenance... This is from Blabamath. A two-page mm-hmm. provenance affidavit signed by DePolo about Cobain's hair reads in part, Tessa had known Kurt back in England and they hung out during Bleach Tour. Uh, Nirvana had broken in England first and she must have had a sense that Kurt would become a musical force. When it came to Kurt, Tessa had a kind of... was kind of like was kind of what like Astrid Kircher had been to the Beatles, the woman who had given him his iconic haircut. She even uh, had a series of pictures to prove it. A snapshot of her and Kurt with long straggly hair while she had a pair of scissors high, then a shot of the scissors going through about seven inch of hair. The rest was history. Kurt was known for his bleach blonde page boy, and she'd given him his first one back in October of 1989, just before his image began to circulate throughout the world. Sweet. Yeah, so I mean, I mean that tells you everything you need to know about you know, the value placed on Kurt Cobain yes. as, a, as a sort of legend in music and therefore perhaps some overinflated sense of what Nirvana represented, what they achieved, what they brought to the musical domain at that time. Is that what we Just playing difficult advocate here. Is Heath Ledger Dark Knight Syndrome? Yeah, I mean, exactly. 
Yeah. I mean, I was going to say uh, Freddie Mercury, but I think he probably deserves the props that he gets. I don't think he's necessarily credited with, uh, I don't know. Things he wasn't responsible for. Yeah, well, starting a new musical genre or anything like that, I don't think he's credited with that necessarily. Yeah. He's just credited as being a very charismatic and talented frontman, so, and that's fair enough. I mean, if, if that's all Kurt Cobain was credited for, I guess it would be fair enough. Yeah, uh, very good. The next band, also, you know, very closely associated, of course, to Nirvana, is uh, Foo Fighters. <gasps> yeah, I'm kind of with you on this one. Um yeah, you go on. Lay, lay down, lay on the controversy, and I can, I can dissect it at my own peril. Well, well, I, mean, I don't have a strong opinion either way. I've always thought, thought Foo Fighters are very middle of the road, generic rock, really, with some mm. pretty catchy tunes that, you know, no one. I don't think anyone hates Foo Fighters. No one can hate Foo Fighters uh, because they're unoffensive. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, I've just another band came to mind actually as I was thinking about you know what bands are pretty unoffensive but their popularity sort of gets to me and I think Muse is one of them. Yeah, I think Muse are overrated for sure. I think and that's um, just popped in my head now. Let's unpack Foo Fighters first, I think. Yeah. So I think you said something earlier which was like bang on, which is they're inoffensive, and it's like mm. well that's sometimes the best thing you could say about them. Um, I think. Really good, sensible pop rock up until about two, anything past 2011. And then this is, this is what I was talking about the other week in terms of the, the Josh, Josh Hamm effect. Mm-hmm. After that, they just somehow lost all the hooks. And there was like... You can nothing. you can understand that considering how long Dave Roll's been in the game, how long he has to write. He's expected to write hit after hit. I mean, how much motivation can you have that there has to be oh, a limit? Rick, I don't mind. You know, I don't even mind like the music in terms of like... Yeah, this is it. Dave Grohl can kind of take it in whatever direction he wants to take it because he's been in the game for a while, so he's the one that's breaking the new ground. However, the pop culture um, point of reference with the Foo Fighters is that they're infallible, and that's where the overratedness comes in. Every day, it's fucking hell. Dave Grohl brings a child up on stage, and they do something. Hmm. Um, Oh, what's happened today? Oh, Taylor Hawkins sings Under Pressure again because they does it every night of the tour and another fucking video has gone up of it. It's just this weird... Um, they, can, they can do no wrong. I mean, they're the darlings of generic rock, aren't they really, these days? Yeah. They're, they're the go-to. It's the go-to sort of guy, nice guy in, in rock, uh, which is fine. I mean, it doesn't, that doesn't actually get my blood boiling as much as you'd think it would. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Uh, it, it's nicely into into my my entry here, which is in fact it, my, the thing here is, Foo Fighters are Radio One, BBC Radio One's flashlight mm. that they sometimes pass around every couple of years, and right. that's what fucks me off. Yeah, nothing. But that's not Dave Grohl's fault. That's not Foo Fighters' fault. It's there's, I think they've lost the hooks. I think they're not going to. They're not producing the big anthemic uh, music that they used to do. And I, I don't like having to say that because I like to see value in in, in new things, um, but I just I struggle with recent albums. I, I'll, I've not hit, listened to the new one. I will admit, um, mm. but the same thing applies to Corey Taylor. Corey Taylor is is overrated in the sense that he's been elevated against his will, and that's where the overratedness comes from. The rate is there is therefore over delivered. He's mm. fine in himself. 
um that even his solo album while it's not really my thing i was fairly satisfied to listen to it and go all right well you know he can do what he wants you know what i mean but he's kind of given this weird sort of deity-esque status um that he's not asked for and i think it's just over the top yeah yeah i'd agree with that um I mean, Slipknot from the from the very beginning to an extent were overrated in that they weren't really breaking any new ground. They just had they were just the full package. They were just exactly what you know the market needed at the time, really, in metal. And they just again they were lightning in a bottle. They just hit they were at the right time, the right place. They appealed to the right fans. It was it was mm-hmm. a sort of it was a time when um, music was a lot more of a subculture. In, in, in you know in cliques in high school amongst teenagers and everything it's not that's not so much the case anymore you know um from what i know i mean i don't hang around in fucking high schools but from what i know um you know these days moshes can listen to mumble rap and emo rap and pop and whatever and and back back when we were younger that was like blasphemy really you were you had to yeah. stick to what you listened to and um you know, you identified with the subculture there within, you know, uh, like, you know, the appearance and the lifestyle and the mm. way you talk, I guess, and things like that, which is not so much the case now. But Slipknot just came at the right time, had the right sort of, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Uh, they had the right appearance, they had the right sort of novelty, or, novelty. Said, did and said all the right things in order to cultivate a new subculture within within metal and uh, you know i think immediately from the start they were overrated because of that and they always have been in my eyes because i don't think the music really backs that up um it's again i've said you know i listened to slipknot there's a time and a place for slipknot and it's and it's fine Mm. and um you know i'll have it like when i'm working out or whatever but you know there's just not there's not enough there that's exceptional to really warrant the amount of um, plaudits that they get. I think exceptional is a, is a word I wouldn't associate with Slipknot, but I think you are right in everything else you've said in terms of it was the full package and it was less about, it was less about this band is amazing. It was more about, it came in very underground, very attitude driven. And it was that kind of cocktail. You had to be in the vicinity. It had to, you had to be the blast radius of them, starting you know that ozfest 99 run mm. um you had to be there from about 99 through 2004 that's where the sweet spot was and then where it's, it sounds really horrible to say it like this but it's like the dysfunction within it is it was part of like the product yeah and people could relate to that in a big way and that was a big part of it i don't think they're overrated I don't agree that they're overrated. I know where you're coming from, and I kind of agree with you. But I think in there, in in, in that journey, lies a lot of value to me. Hmm. And it's easy for me to say that because I'm researching the fuck out of them right now, so I can try and speak to people who are there and really understand it more. Because we were ten. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I mean, you know, you look go on YouTube now. You'll find um, channels with over a hundred thousand subscribers. Um, you know, just almost solely known for collecting Slipknot masks. That's the kind of that's appeal that they have. You know, that's the uh, House of Masks is the one I'm specifically thinking of, uh, which I do watch from time to time for some random morbid fascination I have with fucking Slipknot mask collections. Um, 
this guy has like one of the biggest Slipknot mask collections in the world, basically. And it's just a mass. It's you know that itself in and of itself is its own in a massive subculture where independent artists um, are producing their own mold, their own molds and uh, making pretty considerable amount of money uh, mm. going on these runs where they're producing you know very specific variants of the clown mask or whatever from a certain uh, certain but gigs or whatever. It's like, cosplay you know. that though, isn't it? It's not. Is that Slipknot? Is it cosplay? Well, it, that's just part of the, you know, just the Slipknot subculture, isn't it? That That's part of why they, they blew up to an extent. You've got mm. to credit them with that as well and, and, you know, sort of take that into account and think, you know, does that, you know, so, does that make them overrated? You know, is that part of it? I think like there's such a di- so many different ways you can see Slipknot. I mean, I remember seeing him at the headline download in 2009, and that was obviously a big deal because the UK is like a big place for, for Slipknot, and they've been you know busy um, in that territory since they started. And I remember, um, fuck, which one? I think it was spit. Yeah, it was spit it out, and it was the do the bit with it, make everyone sit down, and then they all jump up and all that shit. I remember Fee, our friend Fee, was like, I just don't understand why people take them so seriously. And it was just like, oh. It, I just, I, then I understood it. it. It's possible to be just so departed from, so departed from what they try to do. Mm. That someone even still, still now, 10 years later goes, oh yeah, those masks are silly. Because that's what he was referring to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you either get it or you don't to an extent. And yeah. um, I saw, I, I understand it, but I think, you know, it, it's worth mentioning as a potential overhead. Because oh, totally. they're so big. Again, again, because they're so big, you know, it's really about just naming the biggest bands you can think of and <laughs> just thinking, like, well, you know, it doesn't necessarily make them overrated, but some, some bands just get too big for, you know, way too popular and way too big, regardless of how good or bad they are, really. It doesn't yes. really matter. Um, I, I'll, uh, I'll I'll just fire off a few other names yeah, and then we'll uh, we'll move on. We've got Amanamath, of course, Sabaton, <laughs> Mayhem, Dragon Force, Pantera, and Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> just just a few small names there. Just uh... I was going to say Guns and Roses. Oh wait, you know what? I've got a better example: Velvet Revolver. There's a band uh, I'm not sure anyone ever liked, <laughs> but they're still uh, like totally revered. I think Craig liked them. Yeah, well, you know, he had to, didn't he? He's contractually <laughs> obliged as as being a Guns N' Roses fan mm. to be in love with Velvet Revolver, even though. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think they're. I don't think they're overrated because I don't think they're. They're not really on my radar. They're not really on the radar of most people to be overrated surely. I think at the time the thing is though this is the thing so when when they were about everyone was like fucking this big deal this big deal band is like they were like instantly arena uh, arena level band they were instantly hmm. um, on the front page of everything and it's obviously you know why because it was the momentum from Guns N' Roses and things like that but they just didn't have a lot of good songs they had some good songs but not a lot and yeah. it was just for me, it just fell flat. I just wondered, does anyone, it was, I honestly was there like scratching my head. Like, does anyone actually like this? Cause I don't understand. It doesn't flow well with me. There's still some great things in there. Like if you like slash guitar work is like full of that, but mm. Slash's solo stuff was miles better. 
than any of the Velvet Revolver stuff, if you ask me. I don't have a strong opinion either way, to be honest. That's that's uh, that's your contender. I'm not going to argue against it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I, I don't know. I might have texted you like might have been six months ago. I remember coming back from getting some pizza and I was listening to Velvet Revolver, just trying my best to get into it. And I was like, did I? Might, I don't know if I texted you. Or I might have been Dave. Or I was like, just, did you like this band? Do I need hmm. to ask everyone on the planet individually whether they really dug this band? It could have been that maybe I was like short-sighted, right? Maybe it was um, everyone was just on board to support the lads as they found their sound, which is also completely acceptable. But it was just, I can't remember I can't remember any songs from that second album. They did two albums and I can't remember any yeah. of them. I remember seeing a guy at the gym once and he had a, um, he had a contraband tattoo on his arm. Right. And even then I was like, even at its height in 2006, 2007, I was like, that's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. You should know better. Uh, You're older than me, is what I was thinking at the time. I don't think I don't think anyone remembers the second album to be I don't, but um does that make them overrated? I don't know. That's that's a little bit um, dubious. Well, yeah, um, sorry, the the point I was gonna make was when they dropped off, everyone completely forgot about them. Mm. Overrated at the time is probably more of an acceptable or more accurate assessment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what kind of list they could potentially fall into for another topic, like um, bands that had one album and then faded away into obscurity. That's a bit. It's a bit too niche that topic. But hmm. um, I don't know if they fall into overrated. Uh, any other comments on that? That's that quick fire list that yeah I gave you. I think it's so, all shit. You fucking. Uh, I made a don't. No. No, no. I don't. I, I, Dragon Force. No. I don't know. I can't. I can't. I can't argue with you on these. I've not got the energy. No, that's fair enough. I mean, my final suggestion, which just came to me today, is uh, Deftones. I, I don't know if you don't. like Deftones. I don't know what your opinion is. I haven't heard a lot. Not gonna lie. No, I haven't heard a lot, but I've heard enough to know it's pretty boring. I don't really like, you know, their strange chord choice changes and shit like the kind of shit that you know rick beato goes on about for 45 minutes <laughs> you know when they're when they're popular enough to be mentioned by rick beato then they're probably overrated <laughs> that's uh, one way to they're one of those they're just one of those bands that's on my list to check out in earnest because i've only heard the odd one you'd hear in a club and i dig it but it's mm. obvious it's certainly of its time for me it's yeah. certainly like the early new metal, like early corn as well. Yeah, it sort of it sits in that niche, which I, it was like it was a movement I wasn't part of nor observed because I was six. <laughs> so I don't, you've I got don't to forgive me. I don't know if you're well. I mean, they've still been big throughout our formative years as well. So. Yes. No, I remember <laughs> yeah, when it, I guess it was it was it back to school and uh, yeah. something happened something happened which made Stuart scream it all the time at, in school. <laughs> I think it was like in the corridors or something. And he, he like scream in your face or something. Well, I think that, that kind of drony moany voice <laughs> is that's, that was Stuart's less eloquent way of criticizing really. And I, I agree with that whole article. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, very fun memories of Stuart screaming at people. <laughs> and we all do. I mean, <laughs> oh, so that's that was that's overrated bands. Um, that's overrated bands. We'll uh, we'll move on to. Uh, you didn't say Weezer. 
I didn't know. Good. I didn't say what I could have said. What he said. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a deliberate omission. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, that would have that would have just got you started for the fucking rest of the the episode. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to, to Stephen Hill, who writes for Metal Hammer or wrote for Metal Hammer. I, I think he just like freelance work. It basically is like a respected metal journalist in the United Kingdom. And on his podcast recently, he spoke about Weezer. And I obviously want to talk about Roadrunner, as is my custom, but I know I'm going to spend the first 45 minutes talking about Weezer. Yeah. He's got he's got thoughts on Weezer. And I think I found like a soulmate in terms of someone I could talk to Weezer about, talk to talk to about Weezer. Oh, so it's positive then. Isn't he, he put it this way, like he absolutely has a great curiosity as to why Weezer have done what they've done for the past 10 years and without shitting on it. Because to say that Weezer have done a bad job over the last 10 years is a very, very disingenuous way of looking at Weezer. Okay, it's a good job I didn't say that then, because I was going to say that. Yeah, it's no, it, 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 the thing about Weezer is everything they've done at this point for the last 10 years is by meticulous design, and I'll I'll not have anyone tell me otherwise. You mean by, that's, by, by design of trying to follow in the footsteps of like Nickelback? No, completely. You clearly haven't listened to any Weezer for the past 10 years. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Let's let's not get started on fucking ways. Uh, we need we need to just cut it there, and uh, it's not much of a segue here. But let's uh, move on to the news for the love of God. Uh, so not a lot of news. Not a lot. No. I thought it was, I thought it was worth mentioning that the the top story on uh, one of the music news sites that I frequent was. The uh, the article on Slipknot's Corey Taylor, you know, talking about how it was really sad what happened to uh, Roadrunner Records in 2010 being what bought by Warner Music. 2012. Yeah. <clears throat> sorry, I, I'm just I was just reading off the title. I mean, sorry, fucking the expert over it. the leading uh, expert on fucking Roadrunner history. I suppose I can't argue with that. 2012. Why, why is it oh, say well, 2010? Actually, 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 if you want to go really pedantic, it, there was the go first on. bought in... I mean, Norwich was bought in 2001 by Def Jam Universal, which was then bought by Warner in 2006. And then 2010, they'd buy the majority. Then 2012, that's when that's the thing that Corey Taylor's on about when they sack everyone and close all mm. the offices. Okay. Fair dues, fair dues. You'll have to... Uh, Correct them. I'm not. I'm not making that correction. That is too pedantic for me. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's not too wrong. Anyway, uh, that was the top story. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I thought that that sort of bodes well for your uh, documentary. There's, there's definitely that. Definitely a lot of interest in Roadrunner. Definitely. Well, maybe it's Corey Taylor, but well, there's always interest Corey in Corey Taylor as well. So I think this is the thing. There's always been an interest in Roadrunner. It's just never been manifested in any sort of comprehensive way. Hmm. Which is my job. You're the man to do it. Yeah. Uh, interesting piece of news from last week, which I mentioned to you, uh, which you obviously sounded like, oh, fuck, you know, I was going to go off on another rant about metalcore. And yes, I am. Yes, <laughs> I am. Should I have done a fresh coffee for this one? So I got plenty of this one, actually. Ah, oh, that's okay. Then. Yeah. Continue. Just uh, pick it up and start sipping. Um, well, you know, it obviously relates to our now weekly segment about the origins of metalcore and uh, Killswitch and Gade. Gage rather being slightly overcredited potentially as the forefather. <laughs> um, it's gone from it's gone from fuel for a friend deserved a bit of that cake to yeah, yeah. to engage yeah. a folk band. <laughs> it really has, hasn't it? Uh, not even I saw it going this way. Um, Fear Factory guitarist and your best friend uh, Dino Cyrus. 
Uh, he said in an interview recently that people have forgotten where the metalcore influences come from because other bands got popular after they did. He specifically mentioned Killswitch Engage and says that newer school kids will probably look at them as being the forefathers of that stuff. That's his words there, I'm mm-hmm. quoting. Um, which is which is interesting because we obviously sort of, we also take that argument and try to pick it apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that the guys in Killswitch Engage themselves have also given him props for uh, stuff like that, in his words. And even Devin Townsend, when he first started strapping Young Lad, his formula was Fear Factory, um, which I'm not going to agree or disagree with. That's uh, that's for him to say. Uh, so, yeah, it's obviously not just us questioning how important and influential Killswitch Engage really were, you know. I don't know if uh, Dino started listening to the show or something. He decided to throw his hat in the ring there and uh, start arguing about the origins. But I think, uh, yeah, now is the time, better time than any, to uh, call for a massive overhaul of how we define metalcore and who really influenced it. Is this? Because, is, are you proposing a project? No, nah, I'm proposing a two-minute rant, and then uh, we'll okay. probably just continue this rant next week. Oh, fair enough. The your vision of things and my visions of things are just totally different. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, do you want to do something? Yeah, Jim. What do you want to do? I want to spend eighteen months thinking about one thing. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm too scatterbrained to do that. I, I I get too bored. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll we'll have to change it to a, a look at Sascar after about two weeks. <laughs> Continue. Um, I'll, I'll I'll yeah. You I'll keep close keep down my, on that coffee. I'll, yeah, I'll close my Wikipedia article down because I'm not doing any research with this one, obviously. Okay. Well, okay. If kids these days think that every trend in metalcore over the past decade has been set by Bring Me the Horizon, then let's not forget that Funeral Friend were the ones who very famously influenced Ollie Sykes, the lead singer of Bring Me the Horizon, when they invited him to sing on stage at the cockpit in Leeds. Okay, so so let's just let's not let's give credit where credit's due because that's quite a, quite a famous story where Ollie Sykes went to to see Funeral Friend, he was invited on stage. He hadn't, I don't, according to him, he, he hadn't. Plucked from the crowd, or was it? Was it... I, I believe so. Um, I'm going off memory of what he, his words were, you know, describing his first like exposure to being a front, I know, whatever. Hmm. That it's was... worth mentioning at this point that, that that opening statement of if the kids think they bring the horizon to the cutting edge, you've got, you've got that from like a collection of Reddit posts over the last like few months where I just get a screenshot in the middle of the night of you just mm. going fuck you know and it's just some <laughs> kid going um like ruin their eyes and now the foremost authority on every, all things metalcore yeah. well yeah I'll, I'll, all the kids I'll, now think that that's where that's come from it, it just well it just keeps happening every fucking you know it's like they aren't credited enough you know next week there's a fucking self post on reddit saying is it i think it was Lutor. no it wasn't it was um well, they all they all overcredit Sempaternal with being fucking some game changer in the genre. But right, there was a fucking thread. There was a thread last week which was like, "There is a hell, believe me, I've seen it." Does not get the credit I deserve or something. It's an amazing album in our slash metalcore, like ranting about how great it was and how you know it's underrated. Or it's like, what the fuck, underrated? Is this the first time you ever come to this fucking subreddit where they're all <laughs> sucking all this ice of dick all day. Like, what are you talking about? And uh, yeah, and it just re reignites the the flames of rage that they get so fucking over. So anyway, anyway, <laughs> the point is, let's not forget who influenced Ollie Sykes. You know the fucking 
god of metal, modern metalcore, apparently. And let's not forget it was Fiona for a friend, which is an interesting little coincidence there, considering we've yet to see the metalcore genre put onto the Wikipedia page of Fiona for a friend. Yep. Um, so let's give credit where credit's due. That was the moment he decided to become a singer. That was, you know, for good or for bad. Um, and, uh, okay, Fiona for a friend might not have made it big in the US, but they were pretty massive in the UK. I think we can agree with that. Yes. And anyone who grew up in the UK in the 2000s listening to metal knew, and I think to some extent respected them. I mean, I don't think you necessarily respected them until you saw them live um, supporting Iron Maiden. Yeah. Um, and I you saw them it. from a new... Yeah, but I, I, I think you probably saw them from I was ambivalent until hours. Uh, yeah, I was ambivalent until hours, I will say, say that. Mm. And um, I think if you look at the uh, the metalcore scene now and over the past decades, uh, the past decade rather, it's it's UK bands that are at the forefront. Uh, we're talking, you know, Bring Me The Horizon, Asking Alexandria, Architects, uh, Bullet For My Valentine, Buried Tomorrow, Loathe, While She Sleeps. These are all UK metalcore bands. These are all, you know, arguably the biggest metalcore bands in the world. Uh, no other nation really comes close to the UK. And it's metalcore output over the last over the past decade. Um, and who do you think that influenced them growing up? You know, Kill Switch Engage or Funeral Reverend? You know, I know where I stand on that question. Did that was that scripted? Um, I've got some notes. I've got some notes. I've um, the other. I've got to mention that the other nation, of course, which is sort of has a similar has has some uh, um, comparable output in the metalcore scene is Australia. Um, and that's been more modern with like bands like bands that I mentioned on this uh, on this podcast, which is uh, make them suffer, Polaris, and then you go a bit further back, you've got Parkway Drive and North Lane. Um, and uh, I think the funny thing is that those bands are bringing technicality and met- melody back to metalcore. Actually, uh, so they're actually the bands that remind me more of Funeral Friend. So yeah, there's some discrepancy there, um, but you know. I think if you ask people in R slash metalcore, okay, who has who has most influenced the sound and the and the sort of direction of metalcore over the past decade, over say from 2010 or 2011 onwards, they'll say Architects and Bring Me the Horizon all day, mm. and they're both UK bands. And I think you just got to give a lot more credit to you know what the UK is producing the metal metalcore genre. And if you go far back enough, you'd have to go too far back. You will find few for a friend. Stood very firmly uh, in that. In that, I mean, lo- loathe. I've seen loathe them, um, which are a lot more of a. Mo- I'm not a fan of loathe personally. Um, they're a bit weird for me. I don't know, a bit of a weird brand of metalcore. They've like cited fucking corn and stuff, but it's the same. It's the same qualm I have with most interviews with uh, musicians where they're saying like, you ask fucking, God, I don't know you know, Corey Taylor, what he's influenced by, and he'll say, like, the fucking Beatles or something. You're like, you know, if you get you get the staple answers, and it's like, well, it doesn't sound like your fucking music, mate. So there's something else at play here. You know, you're not listening to uh, I want to hold your hand while you're writing fucking Spit It Out or whatever. You know, that's a bit of a stupid example, but you, you get my point. They always, they always have these staple sort of uh, influences they cite, like Korn, for example. It's like, oh, I'm not really hearing this in the music. There's, there's mm. some of their influence here. There's some other um, source that you're drawing from um, to take you in the direction that you're, and the music that you're producing. And I think 
there's an argument to be made that funeral friend. I mean, I, I make this fucking argument every week. This is just my final stand, really, until we finally get that interview with Chris Coombs Robbers. Uh, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think if we constantly refine the hot take, because it starts as a hot take, and it just we unpack it a little bit more and a little bit more. Hmm. I think there is some value there, so I don't blame you. I think, um, you know, keep that keep that rant saved somewhere safely. <clears throat> yeah, because um, it's worth, you know, I don't want to have to keep repeating myself. We could just <laughs> just cue that fucking segment every week, every time I start mentioning, and then we you can save my breath and energy because I'm a, I need a drink now. You're not allowed one. I'm out of breath. Uh, so that was my final argument. That's my closing argument for where Funeral Friends stands in the uh, in the history and the, of the influences of Melkor. Um, which has got nothing to do with what fucking Dino Casares said in fairness. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a really weak segue. Really bad excuse. <laughs> the only, the only relevance is the whole uh, Killswitch Engage thing, which I just thought was interesting because obviously they, they do get credited as the forefathers. I think that's you know, obviously someone else agrees there, namely Dino, that there is, uh, there's a bone to pick there. There's, there's some... Uh, I think they're the, they're the godfathers of modern Metalcore. I'd say that. You think, you think Killswitch you guys are the mo- Okay. Yeah, I do. I think well, Fear Factory, I think Fear Factory started um, the uh, gruff versus singy, singy chorus. Hmm. That's a hallmark of modern Metalcore. But I think I think I wouldn't I wouldn't say I think it depends how you you like to draw your lineage, right? I think Killswitch Engage just sort of like set the gold standard for the metalcore, or as I keep calling it, the new ever American. Yeah, but but metal. who did this? Who did they set it for? Because who else has come from America and sort of uh, you know headlined as a metalcore as a as a sort of. Uh, you know, standard the 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 gold standard of of metalcore. It's not really U, U.S. bands that have done that. It's U.K. bands. It's Australian bands. You know, are they being influenced by Killswitch Engage? Is that the main influence that they're drawing from? You know, who who are Killswitch Engage really? What you know, where have they set this standard? In what in what genre? In what in what location? You know, can you name another metalcore band from America? Because even I struggle these days. I can't really think of any. Well, Trivium were meant. Well, Trivium were first called a thrash metal band, and then they started realizing that there's actually a, a noise happening there. Then there was God forbid, mm. Chimera. There's a few. Well, there's there's fucking Devil Wears Prada and August Burns Red, but I've never thought of them as metalcore. They get given that that genre, but it's not it's not the metalcore that either of us, I think, imagine. Yeah. When we think of Melkor, so it's, it's a strange one. Uh, but we can move on if you'd like, because... Uh, we can move on. We could, we could talk about that all night. Uh, another piece of news. Um, Misha Mansour, a good friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> He's finally oh, announced nice. his first full solo album under the bulb moniker. Oh, is that what um, I saw the day? I was going to send it to you. I thought it was a new I, Periphery album. Uh no, no, I don't think anything's really been set in stone for the Periphery album, but Bulb, yeah, is set to be released 
in July, I believe, of this year, 2021, titled Moderately Fast, Adequate, Adequate, fucking tongue, I knew, this, I knew I was going to fuck this up. Moderately Fast, Adequately Furious. Say again. Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he did release a 10-album collection over the course of four months last year, by the way. Um, but that was mostly sort of old songs, demos that he'd remastered. There were a few doozies in there. Um, but he has released uh, recently released a music video for the first single of this album mm-hmm. called... It's another fucking tongue twister, by the way. Pa- Parabolica. Right. Whatever that means. Um, don't know if you've seen that that music video. No. Um, I mean, it is a bit of a of a glorified play guitar playthrough video, really, because obviously yeah. it's, it's just him. It's a solo instrumental project of just Mishaman. So, uh, so you can't expect much from the video, I suppose, if he's going to no. play along. Uh, I wasn't too keen on it at first, what I was hearing, but it won me over when I heard the solo. And you mm-hmm. know me, if you throw a nice melodic solo into a song, it doesn't really matter what the rest of it sounds like, yeah, you know, yeah. i.e. Attila. <laughs> yeah, I just suddenly forget what the rest of the fucking again. yeah forget what the lyrics are forget what the rest of it sounds like there's a there's a cool solo in there bitch uh, of the snare drum uh, <laughs> um, I mean each each of their own Misha is obviously one of the well not obviously maybe but I would argue as one of the greatest modern innovators in metal um, he's very prolific he's a talented yeah. multi-instrumentalist mixer yeah. producer and uh, kind of humble about it at the same time. Not so humble in his fucking how he spends his money, but um, humble. How do you, you humbly can't... enjoy money? Well, how do you humbly enjoy a fucking Lamborghini Aventador or whatever it is? Drive it at the speed <laughs> limit. That's how you I do it. Th- I don't think he's doing that, but hopefully he is because <laughs> I want I want more periphery albums. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I know most people will credit Meshuggah for inventing some early form of gent, but you know, Misha was obviously the one who tightened up the sound and gave it some, you know, gave it a lot more groove, made it a bit more like funky. Cause that is math and more feel. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, I've always described periphery as a sort of, or at least the gent elements as sort of like funk metal to an extent, because it is yeah. very, you know, it's almost slap, it's slap guitar that it's a weird technique that they've sort of, invented to an extent because it's not really actually what sugar were doing either they weren't they're not slapping the strings they're just chugging it in a very syncopated manner yeah um so you know they i mean he actually to be honest uh, to be fair in interviews misha has said himself that he you know he's a lot of his demos and things were just like sugar rip rip off and that's what he was listening to at the time i don't know if he's telling the truth they trying to be humble about it again but you know, again, I'd argue that he just made it more accessible to listeners. He just brought it, you know, to the forefront as, as its own genre, really. Mm. Um, and having, but having said that, I've got to admit that like gent isn't really my favorite genre of all time. At least not, you know. I mean, because actually, to be fair, like in, in metalcore, like gent is sort of credited as, as being part of what influenced metalcore over the past decade becoming more genty more chuggy less leads and things like that and that's yeah. sort of like the downfall of fucking modern metalcore for me so it's you know, where it's I draw of... the line between metalcore and new wave of American mm. yeah so you know it's um, 
bit of a love-hate relationship to an extent with Gent for me. Yeah. Um, in that really periphery, the only, you know, uh, I mean, they use the term ironically as well. So I'm, I'm sort of putting my fingers up here as air, air quotation marks saying Gent really, but um, they're the only Gent band that I, that I really listen to. Everything else I've heard has been very, very derivative, very generic. Um, and just came with memes. Yeah. It's just pretty bad. Um, and I think judging from this single, the Bulb solo is probably going to be another sort of straightforward gent album, similar to some of Periphery's weaker instrumental tracks, like um, Zero um, from Clear and Four Lights from uh, Juggernaut. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about, the chuggy, syncopated guitars, polyrhythms that fucking line up every 16 beats or something. Uh, you know, it's cool in moderation, but I think Periphery benefit from you know the input of their other members to be fair i think that's what you know like mark holcomb um has a lot of crazy riffs a lot of crazy unorthodox playing which really makes it like very undesirable for me to learn anything on anything by periphery because it's so weird and so difficult and so unorthodox that you know at this point at my age it's accessible yeah, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Really, that's oh. that's the problem for me. It, it's it's so weird. I just can't sit down and commit to hours of teaching myself a new technique like that. Really, um, and then you know Jake Bowen, the other guitarist, has a lot of melodic tendencies as well, which you don't hear in Gent so much. Uh, yeah. But you know, it'll be a cool album, I think. And uh, there's a lot of Bulb fans that have been, you know, waiting for this album for over a decade because he hasn't. As I say, he hasn't actually released a proper full-length solo album, other than the ten fucking demo albums he released. So <laughs> I don't. I want to end on a positive note here, to be fair, because uh, you know, I always end up saying neg- something negative for some reason, even when it's someone I genuinely like and listen to. So it's because you hate everything. You've come into a cynical, a cynical old man. Yeah, well, it's what it's what the people want to hear, isn't it? That's yeah. why I do it. <laughs> <laughs> Do it for you. Oh my word! I'm so I'm drained. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. That's all I have. That's my rants, my news. I'll 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 throw one more in, then we'll close out. Um, so Maiden didn't make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, throughout this entire sort of ordeal, Maiden have been on record not giving a shit. Hmm. I don't give a shit. What there is actually kind of a missed opportunity there, though, because. Nobody gives a shit about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. However, it does produce like an annual good cover um, video on YouTube. So like when Black Sabbath were put in, uh, Metallica did like a a few Black Sabbath covers and it was all pretty cool. So I quite like that as a means of forcing kind of weird cover opportunities. That's all the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is for me. Mm. And I I don't know who, I don't know who fucking made it in. Um, does that discredit the argument that I made and are indeed overrated them if they haven't made it into the Hall of Fame? Yes. Because they're okay. now they're so underground that they didn't make yeah. it in. <laughs> who, Fair the enough. Fuck, who the fuck did make it in? Don't ask me. You heard, oh. did you did I ever send you a fucking I don't fucking care. That like bootleg bloody recording of uh, Code and Cambria performing the trooper acoustically at some random concert? Years ago, yes. Did you hear so we, the actual cover? That. Yeah, they did an actual cover for a Kerrang! magazine. 
Oh, did they? Don't, yeah. Don't know if I have heard that. Yeah, hang on, I'll get it to you right now. It's not, it's not dog shit. It's probably quite a bastardization of that. Um, of that live uh, version. Yeah, quite right. soft, even though it's. Well, that's disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Don't bother sending it. Fucking send it to it. You're just <laughs> going to ruin the fucking illusion I had then. Um, ruin the illusion should be the follow up um, Guns N' Roses album. There's a point. I, I'm trying. Yeah, I don't think I've. All oh, right, it's not acoustic. That, that's why. Okay, it it worked acoustically. I think he still sings really weird and softly, though. I think. I just skip forward a little. It's top quality fucking podcasting. This. Well, yeah. I mean, the delivery is a little bit more aggressive than that acoustic version, um, but it does sound a bit weird. It's a good album, this Made in Heaven one. Some great ones on there. Anyway. Uh, right. I didn't, I didn't realise that as well. I didn't realise it was a fucking tribute album time. Yeah, there's, if there's one thing you get to cr- uh, credit Kerrang with, it's making some absolute fucking banging tribute albums and tribute compilations. Mm. Really good. I wonder how they uh, go about that, like, administratively. Um, it was probably in the days where most of all, all the masters were somewhat they were, they were located to a point where you could actually ask permission safely i don't know mm. actually because it actually you know what it must be interesting because when when they split with the royalties i wonder if they regard the cd as a free gift with the magazine <laughs> therefore they don't have to pay a royalty on it because yeah, it doesn't I, make I, any money I thought that for it, yeah, but it's a selling point in it, really. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the legal fucking ruling is, but it is, it is a selling point. I think it'll be, it'll be difficult to argue that it's not, uh, and that you know it just counts as a free gift. That's just completely irrelevant to. No, it's like uh, the when you go to a barber's magazine. No, you're not meant to serve beer at a barber's, right? Mm. You're not meant to buy beer because they don't have a license to sell you beer. So what they do is they put a quid on top of your haircut. And give you a beer as a gift. Hmm. This is like this is the seedy underbelly of retail. Yeah. Gift beers, gift drugs. I don't know. It does. It, it'd be interesting to find that out. Though. I'll. I'm more, I'll, I'll write it. I'll, I'll. I'll sort it out after. Yeah, yeah. Fact, that's another fucking project. Yeah, write that on your list. Because okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not looking it up. That's that's that falls more into your. Can interest. I'm just interested to know, not interested to research. Uh, it's like taking the easy way out. Wait for the <laughs> fucking working schlubs to do all the work. Aye. Then le- learn the output and then leave uh, it. How do you think I've got this far? <laughs> <laughs> you freeloading son of a bitch. Uh, and we'll we'll end it on that, shall we? Let's yeah, let's go home. Let's do another coffee and get back to work. All right, I'll. Uh... I'll let you know I'm in the gym, but I won't send you any videos. Well, I know you listen to Slipknot in the gym now, so, you know. It's not the only thing I listen to. It paints a picture. Uh, I'll probably be listening to uh, what I've been listening to for for the last week, which is uh, email R&B. I don't want to know. And I say that with no shame whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right, I'll catch you. Bye. Bye. See ya.